Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, everyone, shalom, peace. My name is Kennard. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God Biblical Instructional Program. This program is for people who are humble, who want to find out the truth about the scriptures, that realize the following. Let's turn to Jeremiah. Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 16, starting at verse 19. I'm going to read this in the Amplified Version of the Bible, which is a very good translation of the Bible. It brings out the original Hebrew and Greek meaning of the Scriptures without you having to learn Hebrew and Greek, although it helps to do so, but it's not required with all the helps that we have today in the 21st century to understand the Bible. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19, in the Amplified Version of the Bible. Then said Jeremiah, O Lord, my strength and my stronghold and my refuge in the day of affliction. To you shall the nations come from the ends of the earth and shall say, Surely our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, emptiness, and futility worthless things in which there is no profit. Now, I want you to understand this prophecy. The prophet Jeremiah, who, by the way, is a prophet also to the nations, uh, stated the fact that the nations, the majority of mankind, have inherited lies from our fathers. Now, when you look at the word fathers, what does that mean in the original Hebrew? I'm going to find that out here. The word father in the original Hebrew, or in the King James Version it says fathers, it means father. Now, let me look at the word study dictionary. It says a masculine noun meaning father, head of household, ancestor, patron of a class, benevolence, respect, honor. The word is primarily used to mean either a human or spiritual father. There are numerous references to a father as a begetter or head of a household. When referring to an ancestor, this word can be collective. So, it could mean your father as far as natural lineage, or it can be spiritual father. But regardless, this scripture is indicating that most of mankind has inherited lies from our fathers, that's from our families, 
and from our spiritual fathers or, or leaders. And so this is a very significant scripture, ladies and gentlemen. And then when you combine this with Revelation chapter 12, Revelation chapter 12, starting in verse 9, it states, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, Tan, or Satan, which deceives or tricks the whole world. And that word deceiveth means planio in Greek. It means to go astray, to deceive, to err, to seduce, to wander. And he, that's his specialty, that's his title, or that's his, what he does for a living. He deceives the entire world. And one day he will be cast out of heaven into the earth, and his angels will be cast out with him. That has not happened yet, but it will in the future. When that event happens, the tribulation will be in full force. The great tribulation will begin. That's not a Bible study. But anyway, right now he is uh, at the throne of God, and he is uh, our accuser. In verse 10 it states this, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. That's what he does. He's, he's the prosecuting attorney. And that's, again, that's another Bible study. But anyway, so we, we have to realize that this world, the things that you've learned from your parents, and from everyone else that, that are your leaders, your teachers, you have to question, you have to, in light of these scriptures, you have to say, okay, did they really teach us? Not to say that everything your parents taught you wrong. What God is saying is that the, the, the things that you needed to learn, you didn't really learn it from your, you, you didn't learn the things that you needed to really obey all the laws of God. That's what it's saying. Most parents have not done the following in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting in verse 4, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Most people don't do that. Verse 6, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thy heart. And here's the, the key verse here, verse 7, Deuteronomy 6, verse 7, And thou shalt teach them diligently. The word diligently in the Hebrew means shonen, and it means to point, to pierce, to inculcate. Okay? So, so to, to really teach it to your kids like you mean it. And thou shalt, not, not because you have to, but because you want to, and know that it's for their own good and for your good. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, when you liest down, and when you risest up. All right, and if you, if everyone did that, no one would be deceived. But unfortunately, the majority of mankind throughout the ages have not followed this one scripture. And that's the reason why we have violence. That's the reason why um, the Apostle Shaul says this about the 21st century, 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 3, starting in verse 1. This is in the Amplified Version of the Bible. 
This know also that in the last days, the 21st century, perilous times shall come. Verse 2, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Why? Because the parents weren't teaching them how not to be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Again, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truth breakers, false accusers, uh, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures, more than lovers of God. Oh, I didn't put this in the Amplified Version. <laughs> uh, in verse 2 of Second Timothy chapter 3, for people will be lovers of self, utterly self-centered, lovers of money, and aroused by an inordinate, inordinate greedy desire for wealth. What do we, 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 we tear credit cards up like crazy, right? Proud and arrogant and contemptuous boasters. They will be abusive, blasphemous, scoffing, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, and profane. Verse 3, they will be without natural human affection, callous and inhuman, relentless, admitting of no truce or appeasement. They will be slanderous, false accusers, troublemakers, intemperate and loose in morals and conduct, the liberals, right? Uncontrolled and fierce, haters of good. Verse 4, they will be treacherous, betrayers, rash and inflated with self-conceit. They will be lovers of sensual pleasures, the, pornog the rampant pornography and semi-porn that we see uh, on television, although I don't look at television, but most people do. And vain amusement and people... The average person looks at, what, six or seven hours of television every day in this country. Uh, and vain amusements more than more than and rather than lovers of God. And see, vain, is there's nothing wrong with amusements and entertainment, but it shouldn't be vain. Verse 5, for although they hold a form of piety, true religion, they deny and reject and are strangers to the power of it. Their conduct belies the genuineness of their profession. Avoid all such people. These are some people, these character traits we must avoid. This is the word of God speaking to you. So, let's understand that this world uh, is, is a world that uh, lies in wickedness according to the scriptures. First uh, John chapter 5, 10, it says, We know positively, First John 5 verse 19, We know positively that we are of God, and the whole world around us is under the power of the evil one. It's under the power of the evil one, ladies and gentlemen. And uh, this devil, his goal is to destroy. Ephesians 2, verse 2, in which at one time you walked, is talking about believers, habitably, habitually rather, in which at one time you walked habitually, you were following the course and fashion of this world, were under the sway of the tendency of this present age, following the prince of the power of the air, of the atmosphere. You, are, you were obedient to and under the control of the demon spirit that still constantly works in the sons of disobedience, the careless, the rebellious, and the unbelieving who go against the purposes of God. Okay? It says, among these, in verse 3, we, we as well as you once lived and conducted ourselves in the passions of our flesh, our behavior governed by our corrupt and sensuous nature, that's the majority of mankind, obeying the impulses of the flesh and the thoughts of the mind, our cravings dictated by our senses and dark imaginings. We were then by nature children of God's wrath and heirs of his indignation 
like the rest of mankind. So, you know, that that's that's the state of the majority of mankind, ladies and gentlemen. Whether you want to believe it or not, according to your Bible. Not everyone is good. Uh, not everyone gets along. Like some people deceive themselves into thinking this world is not at peace. Peace really means that your needs are taken care of, that you don't have any anxieties, everything is okay, and you and you feel at comfort. Uh, most people in this world can't say that, even rich people. Rich people are are constantly thinking of ways to protect their wealth. Uh, they don't know whether or not they can trust the people that are handling their money. Is that peace? No, that's not peace of mind. That's, that's, that's uh, paranoia, or close to paranoia. So... This world, ladies and gentlemen, uh, will pass away, and it's gonna, we're going to have a, a beautiful world, a world that's ruled by the Messiah. In Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 9, starting in verse 6, it states, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Constant, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Of eternity, he's an everlasting father because he is the last Adam, who is our uh, physical father. Prince of Peace, verse seven of Isaiah chapter nine: Of the increase of his government and of peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from the latter for time forth, even forevermore. The zeal of the Lord will perform this so that this is interesting that um, he is going to increase his government increase his government forever and ever and ever so let's understand the world that we live in ladies and gentlemen that this world will be judged by God Isaiah chapter 13 I must preach this message it's not a popular message I don't care but people, you need to know how God feels about this world. Isaiah 13, verse 11. And I will punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity. And I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease and will lay low the haughtiness of the terrible. And then one last scripture. I don't want to discourage you. I want to encourage you. And But I have to, to, to present the facts to you about how God feels about the world at this point in history. Isaiah 34, verse 1. Ye nations, to hear and hearken, ye people, read this in the King James, let the earth hear and all that is therein, the world and all things that come forth of it. So you better pay attention to this. Verse 2, that's what he's saying. For the indignation of the Lord is upon all nations and his fury upon all their armies. And what's going to happen in the future, he's going to utterly destroy them. He has delivered them to the slaughter. And you can read the rest of this chapter if you want. But let me, let me read one more scripture. The Lord is telling me to quote this scripture, Isaiah 24, verse 1. Behold, the Lord maketh the earth empty. Isaiah 24, verse 1. And maketh it waste, and turns it upside down, and scatter abroad the inhabitants thereof. So you can read the rest of this, folks. But this is what's going to happen, and the reason why it's going to happen, unless there's repentance. Isaiah 24, verse 6. Therefore have the curse devoured the earth, and they that dwell there and are desolate. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are burned, and few men left. And reason why, in verse 5, the earth also is defiled. Let me read this in the Amplified Version. 
It says, the land and the earth also are defiled by their inhabitants because they have transgressed the laws, disregarded the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. And that covenant ultimately is the covenant that uh, God made with Israel. But that covenant also is a covenant that he'll make with anybody that believes in the king of Israel, which is Yeshua Messiah. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, plainly states in verse 1, so first of all, I love whenever he inspires Shaul to say this, or Paul, Shaul is his Hebrew name. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1, For I do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, so let's not be ignorant, that our forefathers were all under and protected by the cloud. Now notice he calls that this book is written, this epistle, this inspired letter is written to the Corinthians, which is a, a, a surrounded with Gentiles. Okay, And he's saying, he's calling them brethren, and then he's calling them, he's saying that they're forefathers. So he's linking Israel with Gentiles were all under and protected by the cloud in which God's presence went before them, and every one of them passed safely through the Red Sea. Verse 2 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And each one of them allowed himself also to be immersed or baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They were thus brought under obligation to the law, to Moses, and to the covenant consecrated and set apart to the service of God. In verse 3 of 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And all of them ate the same spiritual supernaturally given food. Verse 4, and they all drank the same spiritual, supernaturally given drink. For they drank from a spiritual rock which followed them, produced by the sole power of God himself without natural instrumentality. And the rock was Christ. All right, so that rock, the God of the Old Testament, was Christ. And that's not a Bible study. But, the, the first four verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 10 should help you to understand that whoever believes in the in the Messiah, who is the King of Israel, must also uh, go by Israel's laws. And that's a great deception, one of the greatest deceptions of all time. And ministers are, are preaching right now as I'm speaking that the law has been nailed to the cross. And it has not. And they don't know who they're worshiping. They're worshiping a king of Israel. That's who the Messiah is. And if you're going to worship a king of Israel, then you must go by that king's rules and regulations. If, if you worship and, and, and say that the Messiah is your Lord and Savior, then you must obey that king's rules and regulations. See, I, I don't think people really understand what... <laughs> matter of fact, I, I, I know they don't. I know that the Bible indicates that. The Bible indicates that. And so if you need proof that the Messiah is the King of Israel, I'm going to show it to you. And, uh, I'm going to read it to you in the King James Version. John 1, verse 49. Nathaniel answered. John 1, verse 49. Nathaniel answered and said unto him, Rabbi... Thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. And, and Yeshua did not correct him. Yeshua is Jesus' Hebrew name. He didn't correct him because it's true. And also um, in John chapter 12, verse 13. Actually, let me start in verse 12 so you can understand the context. John 12, verse 12. On the next day, 
much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem. In verse 13 of John chapter 12, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that comes in the name of the Lord. <clears throat> so they realized that this is the, that the Messiah is the king of Israel. That the Messiah is the king of Israel. So they, they realized that and And, and uh, this is no doubt that, folks, if you're listening to me for the first time, do you realize that you call Jesus Lord? Well, one of the reasons why he's Lord because he's the king of Israel. And he is an Israeli king. And, of course, he's going to go by Israel's laws. And so that should help you understand that you must also obey those laws if you call him Lord. So. <clears throat> I hope I explained that to you in a simple way. All right, so this program today we're going to talk about, we've been talking about the the seven uh, lampstands or candlesticks of the menorah, and we've talked about so far how many churches. Uh, we talked about Ephesus. I didn't really get into the detail about the um, the historical Ephesus, did I? I don't think I went into detail about that um, to give you a pretty idea of what, uh, and I should have, and I apologize for that, but I'll, I'll go over that briefly here. Uh, Ephesus, I'm reading this out of the um, ESV Study Bible, which is a good Bible to get, by the way. It has some good information in it. But I'm quoting this from uh, on page uh, 465, or what a verse is that in, in Ephesus. It says, To Ephesus, the church in Ephesus was commended for doctrinal vigilance and endurance, but was rebuked for its loss of love. The city's landmark was a temple of Artemis, which, of course, is a false god and idol, and one of its symbols was the date palm tree, contrast to tree of life. So, that's the historical backdrop of uh, Ephesus. Now, the next church that I talked about is uh, Smyrna. It says, churches in Smyrna and Philadelphia received no rebuke from King Jesus, who encourages them as they endure persecution. Romans, Smyrna, modern Ismar was a harbor city renowned for its temple uh, to the mother goddess and it's for, it's for its uh, imperial cult temples to Tiberius and the Hadrian. Strabo in his geography reported early first century Smyrna to be a beautiful city um, possessing paved streets, a library, a gymnasium, and a shrine to Homer who may have been born there. A few inscriptions point to a Jewish presence in the city. Jewish opposition to Christians in Smyrna was alleged in the martyrdom accounts of Polycarp and Pi Aeneas. Okay, so that gives you the the background to uh, Smyrna. All right, the next church um, that I would like to give you a little background to Pergamum. The church at Ephesus resisted false teaching, and Smyrna endured persecution. Believers at Pergamum 
faced both assaults, withstanding persecution well, but wrongfully um, condoning dangerous deception. Pergamon was built on terraces leading up the only accessible slope of its Acropolis. It was an important center for pagan and imperial religion, but there are also indications of Jewish religion. So this is on page 2466 of the uh, English Standard Bible, the study Bible. Okay, and then Thyatira. Actually, let me go to, uh, again, some important information about Pergamon. Pergamon hosted temples dedicated to the divine Augustus and the goddess Rama and to the Aesculapios, the god of healing, symbolized by serpents, and a large altar dedicated to Zeus. The worship of the emperor as a god was also strongly emphasized, even required in the province of Asia, and it was a major problem for Christians at the time. All this qualifies Pergamon to be called the site of Satan's throne. Amid oppressive paganism, a believer named Antipas had sealed his testimony with his life, and Jesus, or Yeshua, shares with Antipas' his own title, Faithful Witness. Okay, and then Thyatira. Thyatira was a politically and culturally marginalized city, finding its identity economically with guilds dealing in metals and fabric. Guilds celebrated their patron deities in periodic festivities, so Christians may have been tempted toward the message of the prophetess, who advocated participation in illicit sex and food sacrifice to idols, both staples of the social scene. Archaeological soundings at modern Hisar have yielded evidence of a few ancient archaeotural um, uh, elements from Thyatira. Coins point on to the ongoing New Testament era of Apollo, who had been assimilated uh, with the Lydian sun goddess who have been assimilated for tongue twisters assimilated Apollo who have been assimilated with Lydian sun god Terimos okay so Apollo was assimilated apologize for the tongue twister this morning alright so we're going to get to Sardis, and I'm going to give you a little backdrop for Sardis. It says um, Sardis captured Sardis is captured twice in its history. This is on page 2467 of uh, the English Standard Version of the Bible, Study Bible. It says Sardis is captured twice in its history. While watchmen neglected their duty, became a cautionary tale of misguided complacency and lack of vigilance. Although Jesus' rebuke identifies no specific source of attack, this congregation was similarly asleep at death's door. Most of the impressive Roman era remains now visible as Sardis were constructed after the tragic earthquake of A.D. 17. The emperor Tiberius helped sponsor reconstruction efforts, earning greater local renown for himself. In John's day, the civic structures included a theater, a stadium, a central marble road, and multiple temples. Uh, many Jewish inscriptions also exist in Sardis, confirming the multiple references in, in Josephus to Sardis' Jewish population. All right, so that gives you a little, uh, I hope you uh, get a better idea of what the people were experiencing back then in the churches. Uh, it was really 
in a pagan environment, in a deceptive environment, and there was false teaching and, and so forth. So, And then, of course, they were influenced by the Roman, Roman and Greek mythology and customs, similar to what we, are, we have to face today. Uh, our government structures, uh, government buildings is all patterned from the Roman Empire. Uh, a lot of the things that we do today in this country is patterned after the Roman Empire. And so uh, what was prevalent there is, is prevalent today, but it's, it's more in a modern sense today than it was back then. So I was going to go over some world news. Uh, let me just quickly do that. If there's any world news uh, significant uh, to cover. Watch.org, you know, what's going on in Jerusalem. Okay, there was an attack on Israel. If you want to go to uh, WATCH.org, two Katusha rockets land in northern Galilee. Okay, so there could be something stirring up there. And then I see a headline here that says, What peace process? The Israeli settlement building would destroy peace process. So here we go again with the monkey business there. So uh, to continue to, <coughs> to watch <coughs> what's going on there, briefly go to the economic collapse here. Let's see what's going on domestically here in the United States. Okay, his headline here on the economic collapse, and if you want to go here is... Uh, the economic collapse blog dot com says the stock market has officially entered crazy town territory. On the one hundredth anniversary of the Federal Reserve, here are one hundred reasons to shut it down forever. Then uh, this article to taper is on eight ways that this is going to affect you and your family. So this is a good website. It has information about gold coins, silver coins, emergency food, survival supplies, military surplus, preppers. Um, and so forth. So, good site. All right, so let's go to analyzing the Sardis Church here. And let's read uh, what our Lord wants us to understand. Revelation chapter 3, starting in, uh, I'll read it as an amplified version. Verse 1, And to the angel, messenger of the assembly church in Sardis, write, these are the words of him who has the seven spirits of God, the seven-fold Holy Spirit, and the seven stars. I know your record and what you are doing. You are supposed to be alive, but in reality you are dead. He's talking about spiritually dead. Verse 2, rouse yourselves and keep awake and strengthen and invigorate what remains and is on the point of dying. For I have not found a thing that you have done, any work of yours, meeting the requirements of my God, or perfect in his sight, which is sad. Verse 3, so call to mind the lessons you received and heard, continually lay them to heart, and obey them and repent. In case you will not rouse yourselves and keep awake and watch, I will come upon you like a thief. And you will not know or suspect at what hour I will come. And so these people, as they were back then and today, uh, believers, because this is a message to the believers here, they don't have a clue of what's going on spiritually, or in the world. 
And you don't want to be in that situation, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, hold your place here in Revelation 3, verse 3, and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1. But as to the suitable times and precise seasons and dates, brethren, you have no necessity for anything being written to you. Verse 2. For you yourselves know perfectly well that the day of the return of the Lord will come as unexpectedly and suddenly as a thief in the night. And I've explained in programs that what this is really talking about, the thief of the night, uh, in the simplest way I can explain it, Revelation chapter 16. Revelation chapter 16. In verse 12, Then the sixth angel emptied his bowl on the mighty river Euphrates, that's in, in the area of Iraq, and his water was dried up to make ready a road for the coming of the kings of the east from the rising of the sun. 13, And I saw three loathsome spears like frogs leaping from the mouth of the dragon, from the mouth of the beast, and from the mouth of the false prophet. Verse 14, For really they are the spirits of demons that perform signs, wonders, miracles. So if you need scripture proof that demons and the devil can perform miracles, it's right here in Revelation 16, verse 14. And they go forth to the rulers and leaders of all over the earth to gather them together for war on the great day of God Almighty. The, the day of the Lord, the major event of the day of the Lord is this, this battle, this fight that will happen when the Messiah and the saints and the angels will land their feet on the Mount of Olives and they will go fight these armies of the world. Verse 15, but this is what he calls the following. Behold, I am coming as a thief. Blessed, happy to be envied is he who stays awake, alert, and who guards his clothes so that they, he may not be naked and have the shame of his being exposed. And they gather them together at the place which is Hebrew, which in Hebrew is called Armageddon. So whenever you see thief of the night, he's talking about the battle of Armageddon or the day of the Lord when all the, the um, armies would be surrounded, surrounding Jerusalem. And this when you talk about the uh, seven last plagues, this is the sixth um, vial or plague. So the sixth vial is equivalent to the thief. He called that the thief of the night, coming as a thief in the night. But he's not going to come as a thief in the night to me because I know what this is. Okay, I understand what it is. He's revealed this to me. And if you believe the word of God, he's just revealed it to you that the thief of the night is the gathering of the armies to battle on the great day of God Almighty or the day of the Lord. And he's saying that if you study this Bible and, and do what he says and obey the commandments and, and keep the holy days, which will help you understand his entire plan, uh, Leviticus chapter 23, I've done a Bible study each and every one of those holy days, uh, Passover, uh, Shavuot, the Pentecost. Uh, you can find it in the archives. Um, uh, first fruits, which isn't a holy day, but it, nonetheless, it's a day that we should observe. Um, also, the fall festivals, the the uh, Yom Teruah, or the, the Day of Trumpets, Yom Kippur, or the Day of Atonement, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, or Sukkot, and Shemini Atzeret, or the last great day, or the eighth day. Um, this whole book, the book of Revelation, uh, is a fulfillment or will be a future fulfillment of all, all the fall festivals, the, the Festival of Trumpets, 
Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement, Sukkot, the Festival of Tabernacles, and Serenai Atret, or the eighth day in English. All that will be, this whole book is a fulfillment of all those holy days. And if you're not keeping those holy days, you're not really understanding, you're, you're asleep. You don't know what's going on. You don't understand the plan of God. And that's another Bible study, but in the archives you could, I have done extensive Bible studies on each of those days. And these are the days that your, your King Messiah, Jesus, observed. And there's a scripture in Hebrews 13, verse 8, it says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Hebrews 13, verse 8. But anyway, getting back to um, Revelation 3, verse 3. Revelation 3, verse 3. So call to mind the lessons you received and heard, continue to lay them to heart and obey them and repent in case you will not rouse yourself, in case you will not rouse yourselves and keep awake and watch, I will come upon you like a thief and you will not know or suspect at what hour I will come. He wants you to get a general idea of when he's going to come back. No one's going to know the exact second he's coming back, but we should be able to estimate, and that's what he's saying. Verse 4, you... Yet still have a few persons' names in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. And they shall walk with me in white because they are worthy and deserving. In other words, they're going to be resurrected. Verse 5, Thus shall he who conquers is victorious be clad in white garments, and I will not erase or blot out his name from the book of life. Now, I want you to understand something because we, we have this false doctrine going around that once saved, always saved. That's not the case. If he's saying that it's possible to have your name blotted out of the book of life, if you're out of the book of life, then which book are you going to go to if there is a book called the book of death? Well, the book of death, right? So um, you won't be living again. As we see, you erase or blot out your name from the book of life. That means your existence will be blotted out. I will acknowledge him as mine, and I will confess his name openly before my father and before his angels. Now, Please listen to this, verse 6. He who is able to hear, because most people, as I've explained to you, aren't able to hear or understand, yet they will have their opportunity in the future, as Revelation chapter 7 reveals. After they go through the Great Tribulation, the majority of mankind, after they get spanked, a good group out of that majority will, will repent finally. Let him listen to and heed what the Holy Spirit says to the assemblies or the, or the churches. So this message was not just for the dead Sardis church, it's for the dead people or, or, or believers today. Those who are just not with it, not doing their Bible study, not praying, don't want to fellowship with anybody. They have the excuses about uh, whether or not they should fellowship with somebody. They, they don't like to be around people. I mean, You've got to stop it with that attitude. Uh, you, you're not going to make it having that type of attitude and calling yourself a believer, ladies and gentlemen. So you you have to get with it. You can't be dead spiritually. You can't be dead spiritually. And you have to to want to do uh, righteous works. Uh, that's one of the reasons why Christ died. Many people think he died so you you, you don't do anything, and and that's not um, that's not the case, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Hebrews chapter nine verse thirteen. We read this in the Amplified version. For if the mere sprinkling of 
of unholy and defiled persons with blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a burnt heifer is sufficient to the purification of the body. So that's what the uh, sacrifices did primarily. It purified the body to be able to, to go in, into the presence of God. But it didn't purify the mind. Verse 14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who by virtue of his eternal spirit, his own pre preexistent divine personality, has offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice to God to purify our minds or consciousness from dead works. And that's what the Sardis Church, they had dead works. And lifeless observances to serve the ever-living God. So that's the reason why we do this, so that we can serve God. And uh, James, chapter 1, verse 27. Reading this in the Amplified Version again, James 1, verse 27. External religious worship, religion as it is expressed in outward acts, that is pure and unblemished in the sight of God the Father is this, to visit and help and care for the orphans and widows in their affliction and need, and to keep himself or herself or oneself unspotted and uncontaminated from the world. As I've stated, uh, I think, quite a few times in this program, and in person in, in, in the Ohio area where I live at, uh, there's too much emphasis on keeping ourselves unspotted and uncontaminated from the world in the, in the messianic, the Sabbath-keeping churches uh, in, in, in the world today. And it's not enough emphasis on helping people, caring about people. And we need to do both, and it needs to be done in balance. And that, if you do that, then you are exhibiting pure religious worship, religion as it is expressed in outward acts. And that's what Yah or God wants us to do, ladies and gentlemen. He, he doesn't want us to be phonies. Um, in Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 14, says, You are the light of the world. So a true believer should be a light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do men light up a lamp and put it under a peck measure, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your moral excellence and your praiseworthy, noble, and good deeds, and recognize and honor and praise and glorify your Father who is in heaven. All right, so I leave you with that, ladies and gentlemen. So let's not be dead spiritually. Let's do the works. Works are important to God. Should a believer focus on doing good deeds? Yes. Because, oh, let me read you um, one more scripture. I'm sorry. In, in, in uh, James here, because many people don't understand that faith must have works. It says right here, James 2, verse 26. You can read this entire chapter after I get through here. James chapter 2, verse 26. For as the human body apart from the spirit is lifeless, so faith apart from his works of obedience, is also dead. So I leave you with that. And Yah willing, I'll be available to you next week. Shalom, peace. May the great almighty God protect and keep you. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. 
And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse.